0: Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show where we teach you how to get leaner, stronger, and perform better through nutrition, movement, and the all-important art of inner work. In today's episode, Dr. Mike T. Nelson is back to discuss his research into caffeine for both physical and mental performance. We discuss whether research actually shows the benefits of caffeine, when taking caffeine as a supplement might be helpful, and how much to take based on your body weight. And before we dive into this episode, I want to remind you that although you missed the boat on this round of intake for our online nutrition coaching program, we will open up again in December 2018 for all of you New Year's resolutioners. You can always go ahead and download our free calorie and macro calculator worksheet at beyondmacros.com worksheet. The worksheet also includes some more in-depth videos about macro calculations, which you can also find on the Beyond Macros YouTube channel. And just a reminder, our name is Beyond Macros because there is way more to nutrition than a set of four numbers. That's one of the reasons why we give those four numbers away for free. It's kind of like a CrossFit gym posting their workout publicly on their website online the real magic happens when you show up to the gym, get coaching, and engage with the community. So let's talk caffeine, that wonderful substance so many of us use for various reasons, whether it's to help you poo in the morning or to get you fired up for a workout, whether you enjoy it as legal meth in the form of Jack 3D pre-workout, or dressed up with tasting notes like apricot, currant, and chocolate in your favorite hipster coffee shop you probably consume caffeine as a tool or for fun. No matter how you consume it or why, this episode will serve as your guide to everything caffeine. And here to talk about the research on caffeine is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. Dr. Nelson is currently on the research team for the ISSN's position stand on caffeine. When he was doing his PhD, he did some research on energy drinks and whether they actually increase performance. So he is literally dripping in a stew of anhydrous caffeine, Monster, and coffee. First things first, let's establish what the effect size of a supplement like caffeine is for some context. And by effect size, I mean, how effective actually is it?
1: You're definitely in the single digit percentages, I would say. So creatine probably one of the most efficacious ergogenic uh, supplements we have. It's a caffeine. I would throw that in there also. And even then, for ones that are the most efficacious, (laughs) single-digit percent. So initially, you're like, well, that's not that much. And in the big picture, to someone who doesn't train a lot, it's not really where I would say focus a lot of your time. The benefit of a supplement is its compliance is super easy. So, in reality, do I have most of the athletes I work with take creatine? Yeah, because there's tons of neurologic um, beneficial things. There's, God, I think the last time I looked, there's well over 400 studies just on creatine monohydrate alone. So, we know more about the safety than almost anything else, with the exception maybe caffeine. And we know there's, like I said, neurologic. There's other benefits. And you literally take the scooper out, add it to your protein shake, and drink it. So there's not much effort per se. But if you think a supplement is what's going to be responsible for you doubling your bench press or that type of thing, probably not. Although even, uh, let's say, a 2% gain to someone who's a strength athlete on a max lift That's pretty damn significant, right? You know, if you could, if if someone came to me and said, hey, you know, you've got a big performance event coming up. I can increase your performance by 2% by just taking a supplement. That's pretty damn impressive, you know, to someone who's on more of the uh, elite end of the spectrum.
0: 2% is probably not going to move the needle on your max bicep curl, but on a 500-pound deadlift, that's 10 pounds, which is massive. Now that you know the effect size, let's talk about the actual effects, starting with whether caffeine improves lifting performance, because although I'm currently identifying as a runner, I am a deli meat at heart. It also depends on
1: what type of performance you're looking at. So, for example, like um, if you go to powerlifting meat, you see a lot of uh, lifters, you know, get pretty amped up before their lifts. Not everyone, but in general, let's say most of them. Now, you go to an Olympic lifting meet, and if you see someone doing that, they're probably not going to win. <laughs> they're pr- probably their first meet, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. Because um, Olympic lifting is a much higher, uh, f- I'd say, fine motor skill. I mean, if you're off by just a hair on the bar, you know, you're probably going to make the lift or you're going to miss the lift. Uh, power lifting, not so much. So, power lifting, you can get away by doing things that kind of amplify more of a gross motor strength which I think caffeine probably falls more in that category. Um, with Olympic lifting, a little bit more fine motor skills, you know, elevated heart rate and kind of the arousal profile usually works in your detriment on that.
0: For the more raw strength output versus fine motor skill tasks, caffeine has some potential benefits. But that doesn't mean that you should go snorting lines of anhydrous caffeine before a power lifting max out. We'll get to the proper dosage and delivery in a bit. Before that, let's take a look at caffeine's effect on endurance performance. The cool thing Mike mentioned is that the current research on caffeine takes people's genetic profile into account and doses them according to their genetic predisposition.
1: There are some studies which I would tend to agree with looking at the blunting of some of the pain perception. So they've done some studies with uh, caffeine in comparison to aspirin and even maybe combining them. Because if you think about, let's say, running a marathon, I mean, I don't even care how well-trained you are, it, it's just brutal, you know. So, a lot of that, I think, is just pain management <laughs> to some degree. So, I think there is a, a big component of that. Um, probably is more of the central nervous system uh, effect, whether that's the pain portion or actually increasing muscular output, things of that nature.
0: So again, the research on endurance performance shows there may be some benefit. The mechanism is a bit unclear. Is it actually making your body perform better? Or does it just make you less susceptible to pain signals? Either way, there is a benefit. And lastly... Let's take a look at the potential cognitive benefits.
1: In general, although it's uh, oversimplification, uh, caffeine for cognitive stuff probably helps with sleep deficit, um, probably helps with more things associated with vigilance, uh, paying attention, reaction time, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Shooting accuracy is really a mixed bag because with the shooting accuracy, you think about what you're doing you actually need to be pretty damn calm. So putting more of a stimulant in at some point, you're probably going to cross that threshold and it's going to be very ergolytic.
0: Ergolytic is the opposite of ergogenic. And ergogenic aids enhance performance. So ergolytic hurts performance. I'm always fascinated by what studies even look at when they measure cognitive enhancement. After talking to Dr. Nelson, I'm even more wary of any supplements that claim to boost cognitive performance. With caffeine trials in particular, it seemed a lot of the research was done for military purposes. For example,
1: for cognition, like if you look at the studies with caffeine, uh, a lot of them were using athletes or like I said, uh, special forces operators. So for special forces operators, they're looking at Sometimes they'll perform a routine of tasks like a four or 6.3 kilometer run. There may be a marksmanship test, which may or may not involve some level of fatigue. Uh, one of them is like what they call it, observation reconnaissance, right? So can you basically sit still and how well can you sort of pay attention to something that's going on? Uh, there's other ones like a psychomotor vigilance, like how well can you perform these different tasks? And, it's not real clear what areas of the brain per se are affected by caffeine and may potentiate some of those. And then you add on the effect of possible sleep. And then now some of those like a run is done under uh, some type of exercise stressor. And then you add in that, well, maybe some people are more trained than others, right? So if you've got a high, let's say VO2 max depicts a simple marker you, in theory, would have less fatigue, even though your buddy did the same task but has a VO2 max of a field mouse. He's probably going to be hurting more and more of a sympathetic state. Does that mean that the caffeine may enhance his performance a little bit better because he's more hurting?
0: Some data would say maybe. So in short, it sounds like there are a lot of variables that can come into play when it comes to measuring the effect of a supplement like caffeine on cognitive performance. It even sounds like there are just a bunch of random tests that might have error due to the learning effect.
1: And If you're in the lab, there's some software you can measure, um, just different like tracking things.
0: With that said... Doc Nelson brought up a test called the Stroop test that you could use for some self-experimentation with caffeine or other nootropics for cognition. A
1: Stroop test will be like, okay, yeah, it's just called, I think it's just Stroop Effect as the app. And it'll pop up on the screen and it'll be the word like green, but it'll be in red letters. So they're mixed, right? And so you'll have to call out the correct one, But your brain is so used to green with the color being green and the text being green. So now they're mismatched. And it's the funniest thing because there is a little bit of a learning effect from it, but not as much as some other tests. And what's great about it is it's pretty consistent from uh, one person to the next in terms of a way to assess uh, one part of cognitive performance. And when you do it, it's so frustrating because you, you know kind of what the answer is, but it's harder than you think that it is, right? Because you just explain this to people and they go, oh, man, I'm going to rock that test. That's going to be so easy. And then you do it and you're like, ah. <laughs> it's like way harder than you think that it is. So, um, but those are some things people can kind of play around with on their own.
0: With that said, I personally don't know how well an improvement on the test will translate to the type of cognitive enhancement I'm looking for, which is generally more along the lines of creativity, making new connections between concepts I already know, and strategic planning. All right, so we have a decent effect size from caffeine. There are some definite benefits depending on what your desired outcome is. Let's dive into the dosing that you need to get those benefits. Doc Nelson and I talked about a few things related to dosage. What's the therapeutic range, meaning what is the minimal dose to start seeing effects, all the way up to what is the dose that might start hurting people? That range is actually quite large. Some studies looked at intakes as low as 80 to 100 milligrams, and the lethal dose is in the multiple grams range. But what we care most about is what is the ideal dose for performance benefit. The caveats when it comes to the most effective dose for performance enhancement seem to be, are you a genetic responder or non-responder, and are you sleep-deprived? But here is what the research seems to say about dosing for strength and power.
1: Strength and power dosages, you're looking at about 6 mg per kg. So if you're a 100 kg lifter, you're a 220-pound mammal, that's a 600 milligram dose of caffeine. So if no dose is 200 milligrams, that would be three of them. Um, coffee is harder to spec for caffeine. You know, everybody says that, oh, it's only 120 milligrams. Well, that's for a standard cup of like six ounces of coffee, which no one drinks just six ounces <laughs> of coffee anymore. You know, So Starbucks grande or whatever, the large one, you know, those are getting close to four or five, 600 milligrams of caffeine in them. Um, and it can vary by a huge amount, you know, well over, I think it was 30 to 40% variation. Uh, a study done by, I think it was McCluster, they went to the same Starbucks, ordered the same coffee, the same type, and just went there like Monday through Friday. And they just did an analysis of caffeine in the coffee and it was very variable. Even though it's, you know, Starbucks is known for having, you know, pretty tight controls on variations because they want everyone to have the same experience. Um, So even in that setting, the variation in caffeine dose from coffee is pretty high from, from one cup to the next.
0: For endurance athletes, Mike actually sent me a study that concluded, and I'm quoting here. Recently removed from the list of prohibited substances, caffeine has been the subject of numerous studies on athletes. It was experimentally shown that an intake of 3 to 9 milligrams per kilogram of body weight improves the aerobic effort capacity of endurance athletes by 7 and up to 35%. So that effect ranges between 7 to 35% back to the quote, indicating that the rate of increase in performance is directly proportional to the dose administered. In addition, caffeine consumption reduces muscle pain after exercise by 48% in beginner athletes. That's pretty awesome. And this is what Mike recommends for his endurance athlete clients.
1: They're notorious for using a lot of uh, caffeine or potentially different types of gels, which is fine. But most of the time they have no idea what they're doing, right? Oh, I just go get a cup of coffee before a big race. Well, that could have a massive amount of difference in caffeine and you're not really knowing what you're dealing with. So I tell them just get the you know standard caffeine tablets or capsules and then I just start them at 100, 200 milligrams and then kind of scale up from there. And then by the time they get to a bigger race, they'll know, okay. I'm going to start with 200 milligrams, you know, I get to whatever mile 15, I'm going to have another 200 milligrams or whatever. It's pretty, pretty methodical. Um, And then you, caffeine doesn't really seem to mess up too much with heat regulation and things of that nature as far as we know. There's not too much of a concern with that. Um, But I like to just have very controlled dosage so that it's also uh, repeatable And what I've seen is that the variation from one person to the next is pretty massive. You know, some people use smaller doses more frequently and they feel better and their performance goes up. Some people like to not use anything to start and then save it for when they're kind of more hurting. You know, I think a lot of it just is more of a psychological thing too. You know, you're like, I'm not going to hurt as much during the first 10 miles, but, you know, the last 10 miles are really going to suck.
0: And lastly... The studies for cognitive benefits are super unclear. Mike said the intake is much lower than for strength and power, which we've established is about 6 milligrams per kilogram. But the more sleep-deprived you are, the higher the dose needed to see cognitive benefits. Which brings up a really important point about caffeine. What are the downsides? One massive one Mike alluded to earlier.
1: And at some point, people have probably experienced this. You can get too high a dose of caffeine. You get an ergolytic effect, meaning your performance starts to go down, right? Everyone's had that feeling where you're just so, you know, stimmed out in your mind and your hands are shaking that, yeah, performance, probably not the best.
0: Again, it seems this effect is even more pronounced for fine motor tasks like Olympic lifting and target shooting. I know for me... I am less creative when over-caffeinated and have to switch over to completing the most basic task on my to-do list. And the other potential downside comes down to why are you using the caffeine?
1: In practice, though, the the biggest problem I see, it's not so much the, the caffeine, but it's why are you using it? It's one thing to say, well, I love a good cup of coffee in the morning. I have, you know, one or two cups during the day. I sleep fine at night. Everything else is good. Eh, I'm not that worried about you. But for example, when I was doing my PhD and I'm drinking coffee in the morning and then at 11, I'm taking a caffeine power nap in the back of my car for a half hour where I would take, you know, like an anhydrous caffeine and then go sleep for a half hour and then wake up and I have peak blood levels of caffeine and I had a little bit of a nap. I'm doing that pretty much every day. (laughs) That's not good. Um, little phrase I had was uh, that caffeine is the credit card to sleep. That at, at some point, while we can't really replace a sleep debt per se, it's probably going to catch up with you. And I'm sure you've seen this in clients too, is that rarely do I see someone who consumes a ton of caffeine and everything else in their life is good. Oh, bro, I sleep, you know, nine, ten hours a night training's good, I relax, I do some low intensity cardio, I go walk in the woods. It's like, no, usually those people are like, oh my God, my alarm goes up in the morning, I don't wanna get out of bed, everything is crazy, I run from one thing to the next, I barely make it to the gym, you know, their life is just a, a stressful event, period.
0: In a nutshell, caffeine can create some problems. But overall, if responsibly used in the right doses, it might have some real benefits. And taking it at the right time is important, too. You might not want to take a pre-workout before a nighttime workout because that will crush your sleep quality. So, when is the best time to take caffeine?
1: (laughs) I was at the gym uh, a couple months ago when I was traveling. And you see the the dude bros who come in who are mixing up their their pre-workout and they're drinking it as they're, you know, going to do their first set. And I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah. Might help you during the last forty minutes of lifting, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's like you're not really getting much of that to start. Um, so I tell people for lifting, you know, back it up usually about an hour beforehand is where I have them start. Same thing with endurance performance.
0: Hold up, what thirty to sixty minutes for caffeine blood levels to peak? How is it that I get amped up and ready to run to the bathroom as soon as I smell my coffee grinding? Mike and I discussed the interesting neurologic associations with different caffeine delivery systems.
1: So if you take uh, caffeine in, uh, blood levels will peak on an empty stomach 30 to 60 minutes, somewhere around there.
0: Our biology is just so darn cool. Back to the discussion on timing of caffeine. For me,
1: I usually drink coffee when I'm working on something or I'm reading research, generally in a, more, a little bit more of a relaxed state. If I use caffeine before exercise, I usually use like an anhydrous caffeine form, and usually not coffee. So my associations are that hmm, caffeine's you know kind of more relaxing for me, even though there's caffeine in it. Uh, like my buddy, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, will drink a fair amount of coffee usually before a heavy lifting session, especially more in his past. So if we were to measure both of us in a study and coffee was the thing we're looking at as the intervention, well, I have a different neurologic association than he does to coffee. Even if we standardize for the same amount of caffeine, let's say per body weight, we may see different effects because of those neuronal associations, also. And that just makes everything messy. And I've seen that on people's individual online training HRV data. So uh, one lady recently, she's like, wait a minute. She's like, I, I, I forgot to do my HRV. She's like, I made my coffee. She's like, I only had like three sips of coffee and her HRV was substantially different. That's probably not the liquid. It's probably not even the caffeine amount because it hasn't even had time to absorb much less the amount is very small. But what is true is all the other neuronal associations with having coffee, those are all present, right? You're smelling the coffee. You go through the process of making it. You're holding it. All those types of things will then affect how your nervous system is perceiving it.
0: Back that calf up. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Mike T. Nelson. If you did, screenshot your phone with the episode and post it to your Instagram story. Tag at Macros and at Dr. Mike T. Nelson and let us know what your favorite part of the episode was or any questions you still have. As I mentioned in our last episode with Dr. Mike on fasting and metabolic flexibility, the guy falls somewhere between stand-up comedian and your favorite college professor. If you want to learn from him, his metabolic flexibility certification is now enrolling, which you can find at flexdiet.com. I also think his newsletter is top-notch. It's the only one I read almost daily because he does a great job of balancing entertainment with education. So go check that out as well. I also encourage you to download the last episode I did with Dr. Mike on fasting and metabolic flexibility two weeks ago. That one was a real banger. And just a reminder that you can download our free calorie and macro calculator worksheet at beyondmacros.com worksheet. If you've already done it and have been compliant, shoot me an email at coaches at beyondmacros.com to let me know how things have been going. We love hearing about your successes and learning from your struggles. Don't be a stranger. We're not corporate. We're just your friendly, locally grown, global nutrition coaching company, and your experience really does matter to us. Whether you're a paying client or you're consuming all the content we put out for free, we want to hear from you. Anyways... As always, much love, and I look forward to seeing you again next week with an episode about how my dad hit an all-time powerlifting total PR at a 1,000 pounds over the course of an hour on his 60th birthday. The man has some real insights into how to stay fit for life that you won't want to miss.